Since 1998, Stamps.com has been an indispensable tool for nearly 1 million businesses. Stamps.com brings the services of the U.S. Postal Service and UPS shipping right to your computer. Whether you're an office sending invoices, a side hustle Etsy shop, or a full-blown warehouse shipping out orders, Stamps.com will make your life easier. All you need is a computer and a standard printer. No special supplies or equipment. Within minutes, you're up and running, printing official postage for any letter, any package, anywhere you want to send. And you'll get exclusive discounts on postage and shipping from USPS and UPS. Once your mail is ready, just schedule a pickup or drop it off. No traffic, no lines. Cut the confusion out of shipping. With Stamps.com's new rate advisor tool, you can compare shipping rates and timelines to easily find the best option. Save time and money with Stamps.com. There's no risk. And with our promo code POD, P-O-D, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in POD. That's Stamps.com, promo code P-O-D. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. The Oracle Welcome to Ye Old Crime, where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me is my sister and co-host, Maddie Stengel. Hello. Hello. How are you? I am shvetty. Yeah. It's a pretty shvetty day in Minnesota for early October. It is. All right. This is week two of Spoopy Month. Spoopy Month. And today, we are going to be discussing Marie Laveau, the voodoo queen. What? You're going to take her on? Mm-hmm. Dang. I admire you. She's quite the story. Yep. You should, do you give like a little intro on like all of the pop culture references recently she's been a part of? So it's like, if you haven't heard from about her, but you've watched American Horror Story, you've totally heard about her. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much her character in American Horror Story is has nothing to do with her as a person. I know, but like... But that's probably where you would have heard of her Yep. prior to this. I feel like it was something else too, but I can't remember. I'm sure there was. Ooh, yeah. The Women Who Kill. She was on a very early episode of Women Who Kill on like oh. ID, Discovery ID. Hmm, that's interesting. I don't think she actually killed anybody, but well, they what do I about, know? I'm not a historian. They go through women who are who have that kind of thing, and they talk it out. So information was pulled from the following sources. A 2021 All That's Interesting article by Gina DeMuro. A 2021 Southern Living article by Megan Overdeep. <laughs> 2012 Go Nola article by Liz Ganest-Smith. A 2012 History of American Women blog post. Atlas Obscura. A Britannica article by Chantrell P. Lewis, Genie.com, 
Ghost City Tours, and Wikipedia. Nice. And links to all of these articles will be included in the show notes. Marie Catherine Laveau was born in Colonial New Orleans, or the French Quarter, as it's known today, as a free woman of color on September 10th, 1801, to parents Charles Laveau and Marguerite de Contel. Charles was a wealthy Creole plantation owner, and Marguerite was his mistress and a free slave. Hmm. So that would have been atypical then, and like scandalous. Mm, yeah. Maybe. Because it's Maybe. a mistress situation, like, they couldn't marry. Oh, yeah. You know, which sucks. Yep. But, like, yeah. that's, I mean, cool that they were together. Yeah. Marguerite has been noted as having African-American and Choctaw Indian lineage and was described as tall and statuesque, with curly black hair, golden skin, and she was exceptionally beautiful. I bet. I bet she was gorgeous. Marie was born at the home of her maternal grandmother, Miss Catherine, and it is her grandmother who raised her. Marie was the first of her family to be born free, and her great-grandmother came to New Orleans as a slave from West Africa in 1743. And her grandmother, Catherine, had been purchased by a free woman of color named Francois Palme. So she was purchased by a free woman of color. Yep. That's surprisingly common in New Orleans during this period of time. Huh. Which I was not I didn't know that. No. But apparently that was a practice. Interesting. I don't know if I could, like, if you think about it, I think the only comparable thing for us would be having an indentured, like, Irish immigrant. Yeah. Like, kind of a similar thing. I don't think I could do that. Mm -mm. Anywho, I mean, it is what it is. You can't change it. Catherine was eventually able to purchase her freedom and build a small home in the French Quarter where she lived with Marie, who would inherit it and continue to live there after her grandmother passed. Nice. Marie was educated and studied to be a hairdresser. Do we know what happened to her mom? We don't know much about her. I just know the year that she died. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's all I know. (laughs) She was raised as a devout Catholic and attended Mass every day. Every day? Every day. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That is devout. Mm -hmm. You're not wrong. Wow. I don't know how many current Catholics would go every day. Yeah, I don't either. Or even like Christians, like, you know, the the more like Episcopal kind of. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they would go every day. It's dedication. You don't even want to go to work every day. (laughs) Yeah. Let alone sitting through like a two, three hour mass. Yeah. It's a lot of praying. Mm -hmm. She also, like I mentioned earlier, took part in the practice of owning slaves and had several over the years in her employ. Hmm. Marie married a man named Jacques Perry on August 4th, 1819 at the age of 18. Jacques originally hailed from Haiti and was a free person of color who had immigrated to New Orleans in 1809 following the Haitian Revolution of 1804. What? Mm -hmm. I've never heard of the... Okay, this is probably typical of the American school system, but I have never heard of that. What was that? So in a nutshell, based off what I read, the Haitian Revolution of 1804 was when a group of Haitian natives, as well as slaves who had been brought in from West Africa, revolted against the Haiti government in order to secure their freedom. And a lot of them... 
then immigrated to the U.S. Just fled to the U.S. and fled to New Orleans because once they were there, they were considered free people of color. Interesting. So it was kind of like a mass exodus. Yes. Essentially. Yeah. I feel like that would have been important to learn in school, but you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why would we need to know that? No, no, we don't need to know that. The pair married at the St. Louis Cathedral. The mass was performed by Father Pierre Antonio de Sadella, who was a Capuchin priest. And I had a hard time like figuring out what that exactly meant. Yeah. But it's a type of Franciscan friar and was one of the like oldest forms of Episcopalian, I think. I should probably Google it. Yeah, you should Google it. Because if that's the case, that would make sense as to why she'd be going to church every day and stuff if if there was like a really intense form of... It's a religious order of Franciscan friars within the Catholic Church that started as early as 1528. Dang. And they practiced a stricter observance of the rules established by Francis of Assisi in 1209. So this would kind of explain why she was so devout in Catholicism. If she went yeah. to Mass every day, it's because of this subset Sect. of yeah. Catholicism. That makes sense. Because the strictness, too, would also naturally kind of give way to more consistent prayer and practice. Yep. Okay. Interesting. Okay. And since I'm Googling things <laughs> for the Haitian Revolution... It lasted from 1791 to 1804, Dang. making it the first independent nation in the Caribbean and wow. the second democracy in the Western Hemisphere Impressive. and the first Black Republic in the world. Way to go, Haiti. It was basically when they were, it was a series of conflicts to overthrow the French regime, regime in Haiti by the enslaved people of Africa and their descendants who had been brought over by the French. They were doing an uprising in order to take control back of the country from nice. the French. And it didn't take very long. Six years? No, it was 1791 to 1804. So 13 oh, years. Never mind. <laughs> 13 years. Never mind. <laughs> but still, that's probably one of the more shorter revolutions out there. Good for them. Moving on, Marie's father stood with her at her wedding and signed the marriage contract on her behalf. Her father, Charles, even though he never officially declared himself as such on any legal documentation regarding her birth. <laughs> Gross. Gifted. Well. I know. Because she was his child with his mistress. I know. He gifted her and her new husband a home that he owned on what is now North Rampart Street, which is pretty cool. I bet it was really nice. Probably. If it was one of his homes. Yeah. Homes is plural. <laughs> Considering he was a plantation owner. Yes, I'm sure it was. Right. It's no tenement home. Yeah. By 1822, the couple were living on Dauphin Street, and Jacques was listed as a cabinet maker in the city directory from that year. Nice. The pair had two daughters, Marie Angelie, on February 13th, 1823. Mm-hmm. Angelie passed a few years later in 1830 at the age of six. Mm-hmm. And Felicite, who was born November 15th, 1824. And she also passed at the age of five. Both girls died in 1830. And I'm assuming it's from yellow fever because that hit yeah. New Orleans 
pretty hard again that year. Throughout the 1800s, yellow fever came and went in fits and starts throughout New Orleans because they didn't have very good irrigation systems. So it was pretty common during this period of time. Gosh, it would just be awful to go back in time and just see all of the children, like so many children died Mm -hmm. back then. Jacques went missing and was presumed dead sometime between 1820 and 1824. Accounts differ on the exact year. So the sa- almost so six years before the girls died. I'm assuming it would have been it had to have been probably closer to 1823 because okay. Felicite was born in November of 1824, which means she would have had to have gotten pregnant in 1823. Yeah. So I'm going to say he went missing in 1823. Okay. Based off math. <laughs> math. And pregnancy. <laughs> Math and pregnancy, which also has a pretty set and defined number as far as how long that takes as a general rule. So the, t- the, the general timer stays the same. Yeah. So we're going to say around 1823 he went missing. Okay. And he was later presumed dead. Bummer. Marie insisted that he had died and went by the name of Widow Perry, which was the custom of the time. Okay. Following his quote unquote death. Marie worked as a hairdresser for the wealthy white and Creole women of New Orleans. Nice. As we know, hairdressers have long been seen as confidants, and Marie was no exception. Yeah, I bet she heard some shit. (laughs) Her clients would confess to her their most intimate of secrets, from tales about husbands and lovers to their families and estates, not to mention business affairs and their husbands' mistresses. Ew. I bet that was wonderful, though. Yep. As long as it wasn't about you, you were like, solid. (laughs) Tell me more. I mean, real housewives is the same concept. Pretty much. Marie also worked as a nurse and healer, and she would administer aid to prisoners on death row, as well as treat clients in her home. Interesting. Side job. Mm Mm-hmm. It comes back into play later on in her life. Yeah, I bet. (laughs) My husband went missing and is probably dead. Also, I, I feed prisoners, but that's not correlated at all. <laughs> Two separate things. Two separate things, I promise. In 1826, at the age of 25, she married a man named Louis Christophe Dumenil de Grapion, who was a member of a prominent local family. Their marriage was common law, as people in mixed race relationships were not allowed to marry. Yeah. And he was very white, as you may have guessed by his name. Yeah. (laughs) Louis was born in 1789 and one of three children to parents Chevalier Christophe de Grapion and Jeanne Antoinette Rivard. At the time of their common-law marriage, Louis was 37 while she was 25. Ew. Okay. So not that much of an age difference. Like, we've definitely seen larger age differences over the years. But still he was older. But still he was older than her. Yeah. Fun fact. Even though they never formally married, Marie had seven children with Louis in rather quick succession. Dang. Three of which passed during the number of yellow fever outbreaks that occurred in New Orleans. Three. Oh, so now she's had five children die. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Celestone Albert whose birth date doesn't make sense, so I didn't include it. 
Because it basically was saying that he was born the same year that his dad was. And I was like, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> that is not correct. <laughs> that is not accurate. So we'll just say he was born at some point because that's that's all we know. Yeah, fair enough. Daughter Marie Philomene on February 2nd, 1827. Marie Louise, who went by Caroline in 1828. She died the following year. Francois Auguste. In 1834, he died the same year. Arcons in 1844, died the following year. And Marie Eloa Ucheriste. And there was no confirmed date of birth. So I have no idea when she was born. And this one. <laughs> and this one, who had a really fun name, but I, that's all I know about her. And you may notice that I only named six children. Yeah. I have no idea what is up with the other one. I couldn't find any information on what gender it was or any clue as to when they may have been born. I just, I'm sorry I'm laughing. It just reminds me of a Homestar Runner for all you like, <laughs> millennials. <laughs> like, I don't know what the last one is. Like, the ugly one. <laughs> that's why, that's why we face. why we don't know anything about it. <laughs> The ugly one. <laughs> <laughs> A number of sources said that she had up to 15 children. No. But I was unable to find any evidence to support this claim. Some believe that the number 15 symbolizes children and grandchildren. But considering only four of her children lived past infancy, but only yeah. one that I'm aware of lived to adulthood, I don't really think that fits either. No. Unless she popped out like eight children rapid fire. I mean, she did do seven, so. No, I mean like her child. If her daughter oh. popped out eight rapid fire, which could happen. It could But happen. I didn't see her as having any children. So I don't yeah. know where the 15 came from. It's just somebody's lucky number. They're like, yeah, it was like 15. <laughs> Maybe they were like, well, seven doesn't sound as exciting. We're going to bump it up to 15. This isn't juicy enough. <laughs> mm -hmm. Marie's grandmother, Catherine, passed away in 1831. Mm -hmm. And the cottage that she had planned to give to Marie following her death was put up for auction. What? Because she was in debt. Aww. Thankfully, Louis was able to purchase the home. And the pair yeah. lived in the Creole cottage on St. Anne with their family. I wonder what kind of state it was in. I don't know. Yeah. If they lived in it and he's a fancy pants... It must have been nice still. Yeah, I'm sure he would have put money in it to make it yeah. livable. If he was that fancy, he wouldn't just live in no rundown shack. Yeah, but that's that's really sweet of him to buy that. Mm -hmm. She ended her hairdressing career in order to raise her children, but that didn't mean she lost her clients. It was as she assumed the mantle of homemaker that she quickly became known as the infamous voodoo queen of New Orleans. Marie lived with Louis until he died in June of 1855 at the age of 66. The pair That's had spent 30 years living together. Wow. That's a good life for him, especially during like yellow fever and all that junk. Mm -hmm. Even though Marie continued to be a devout Catholic until her death, she did start to become interested in her mother's African heritage following her mother's death in 1825. At this time in New Orleans, although voodoo was a common practice, it had a primarily sinister reputation. As we know, voodoo is a huge part of New Orleans history and culture. Mm -hmm. Contrary to pop culture, 
Voodoo is not about demonic dolls and resurrected zombies that do their master's bidding. Nope. Voodoo is a practice that combines the religious beliefs of a number of West African religions that were brought over during the slave trade, as well as the Christianity that they adopted upon coming to America. It also combines the traditions and customs of the indigenous people of the area, such as the Shaktas. Yeah. So this melting pot of a practice is what makes up voodoo today. That's awesome. Marie learned voodoo from Dr. Jean Bayou, a Sengali's voodoo doctor who specialized in conjuring, which is where they would use roots and herbs to help people. Nice. And by 1830, at the age of 29, she was considered one of several voodoo queens in the area. Marie combined her Catholic traditions with her new voodoo beliefs by incorporating holy water, incense, Christian prayers, and statues of the saints into her practice. This blending of the two allowed voodoo to become more recognized and acceptable amongst the upper class of New Orleans. Interesting. I would have thought that it would have been like insulting or something. I think because they were able to recognize aspects of their own religion in her practice. And they trusted her too from being the hairdresser as well. Yep. It wasn't viewed as this foreign other sort of concept (laughs) for them. That's crazy. She believed that spiritual forces, which can be benevolent or malevolent, hold court over our daily lives and can intercede on our behalf should we wish it. These spirits can be called upon through dance, music, singing, and with snakes. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which one do you want? <laughs> the spirits chose the snakes. No. <laughs> no. I don't, are you sure? Can you ask them again? Can I just burn some incense and that works? Don't want the snakes. The front room of Marie's St. Anne Cottage housed numerous altars covered in candles, holy images, and offerings. She would host weekly meetings for both white and black clients in her front room, where her guests would dress all in white, sing, and leave offerings of liquor and food to the spirits. Nice. Even though a number of white clientele sought her services, the community never really accepted voodoo as a religion, which is why today some people still view it with an occult lens. Thanks to our old friend racism and the fact that newspapers tended to print sensational stories to sell papers, uh-huh. many of her ceremonies were viewed as drunken orgies. Fun. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Prior to Marie assuming the mantle of voodoo queen, two other women held the title. Sanit Dede ruled for a number of years before Marie Salope took over. It was Salope who took over Marie's tutelage in the religion following her training with Dr. Bayou. Marie's fame grew quickly until she was known as the voodoo queen of New Orleans, holding court over public rituals and ceremonies at Congo Square, which was one of the few locations in the segregated city where people of different races could mingle freely. Nice. Slaves, free people of color, whites, they could all come to this place and hang out together. And it was totally cool. Totally fine. Nice. Every Sunday, her followers would gather here to worship and dance. She would hold like, not necessarily mass, but she would hold religious ceremonies there. That's awesome. She also ran operations at Maison Blanche, or the White House, where secret voodoo meetings were held and liaisons were conducted between white men and black women. Oh, scandalous. Marie held court as the undisputed voodoo queen until 1850, when a Creole woman named Rosalie attempted to take the title for herself. Ooh. 
In an attempt to inspire and terrify the people of New Orleans, Rosalie had a life-sized wooden doll placed in her yard that she claimed came from Africa. (laughs) Okay. The statue was adorned with intricate carvings and covered in beads. When the people of the community began to fear and respect Rosalie as a result of her owning the statue, (laughs) Marie stole it. Although Rosalie took her to court over it, (laughs) Marie was able to use her powers of persuasion to have the statue permanently removed, thus ending Rosalie's attempt to assume the mantle of Voodoo Queen. Dang. She did it the right way, at least, though. Mm -hmm. Marie made a killing selling Grigri, which are amulets that originated in Africa that protect the wearer from evil and bring luck as well as charms and magical powders that could do anything from cure ailments to granting desires or even confuse or destroy one's enemies. Hmm. She also told fortunes, offered love advice, and made custom grigri for clients looking for specific cures, charms, or hexes. Interesting. Clients sought her out for advice on their marriage, domestic disputes, court issues, childbearing problems, their health, finances, and of course, in their quest for good luck. Many scholars believe that Marie's supposed powers of divination actually came from her vast network of informants that she cultivated during her time as a hairdresser. Whenever she'd visit one of her clients, she would listen intently to the gossip they shared with her, not to mention that she used the servants of her more wealthy patrons to provide her with information. I mean, that's not bad at all. It's a clever plan. Yeah. Marie's supposed powers grew to the point that she acted as an oracle and would conduct private rituals behind her cottage on St. Anne Street in the French Quarter. Her ceremonies often conjured the spirit of the great zombie, a deity named Dambala Wido, that manifested in the form of a snake. Mm, The snake again. Yep. Awesome. She also offered sacrifices to the spirits and performed exorcisms. She was feared for her power, while at the same time was viewed as a living saint for her work healing the sick. Rich and poor alike sought her aid to gain power, become famous, become pregnant, exert control over their lovers, and even gain revenge over their enemies. Cute. In addition to conducting rituals at her home and at Congo Square, Marie also used Lake Pontchartrain, specifically Bayou St. John's. Major ceremonies would be conducted here with those who were indoctrinated in the voodoo religion. So you had to be a member of the religion in order to take part in these ceremonies. Okay. So they were exclusive. It was exclusive. Marie would often be accompanied by a second-ranking male officiant, or king, during services that included singing, dancing, drumming, and spirit possession. Nice. One famous celebration that took place at Bayou St. John's was the St. John's Eve celebration, which took place on the summer solstice. For the New Orleans voodoo community, they would come together for ritual bathing in the sacred waters and communing around bonfires. I mean, that kind of sounds fun. Yeah, I don't see anything wrong with that. It sounds fun. Bathe in the mo- moonlight and have a bonfire because it's cold because you just bathed in the moonlight. Mm-hmm. Marie's acts of service to her community attributed to her growing fame and rise in public opinion. She often nursed those suffering from yellow fever, posted bail for free women of color, and would sit with condemned prisoners at Cabildo Prison to pray with them prior to their deaths. Marie gave her last public performance sometime around 1875, announcing her retirement. 
Even though she quote-unquote retired to her home on St. Anne Street, she did continue her humanitarian efforts by visiting the sick, poor, and imprisoned, and still conducted readings in her home. On June 15, 1881, Marie died peacefully in her home just over two months before her 80th birthday. Wow. Her fame as the voodoo queen of New Orleans ensured that her obituary was printed in such prominent newspapers as the New Orleans Times, Picayune, and even the New York Times. Writer Lafcadio Hearn described her as, quote, one of the kindest women who ever lived, end quote, and reporters described her as a saint who tended to the sick, diseased, and imprisoned alike. Nice. So she was a nice lady. Mm-hmm. Her obituary noted that, quote, lawyers, legislators, planters, and merchants all came to pay their respects and seek her offices, end quote, at her funeral. Marie was buried in the St. Louis Cemetery Number no. 1 in the Laveau-Glapion family crypt, and her tomb attracts the most visitors each year in New Orleans. I bet. Because of this, Cemetery Number no. 1 is now closed to the public, and entry is only allowed if you are visiting family or if you're accompanied by a card-carrying tour guide. <laughs> I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, like they yeah. do conduct ghost tours and stuff in the cemetery. Yeah. And the, the tour guides have to have a special permit to go into the cemetery. Yeah, I bet it would be really hard to keep that kosher, you know, mm-hmm. it very easily get out of hand. Some people will visit another crypt associated with her located in cemetery number two that is commonly known as the wishing or voodoo vault. Here, visitors will illegally draw the letters XXX on it in the hope that Marie's spirit will grant their wish. Hmm. It is also decorated regularly with hearts, poetry, pentagrams, and initials. Even though there is zero evidence that it has anything to do with her, hundreds of people visit it each year in the hopes that her spirit will personally visit anyone who leaves her offerings of coins, Mardi Gras beads, rum, flowers, or candles. That's cute. An article in an April 1886 edition of the New Orleans Times, Picayune, remembers Marie as, quote, gifted with beauty and intelligence. She ruled her own race and made captive of many of the other, end quote. (laughs) As for her children, her daughter Marie Laveau-Glapion, also known as Marie No. 2, who was born on February 2nd, 1827. Groundhog's Day. Yep. (laughs) Is one of the seven children she had with her second husband and believed to be the only one that survived well into adulthood. Marie No. 2 attempted to assume the mantle of voodoo queen following her mother's passing. But even though she looked like her mother, she didn't possess any of the warmth and compassion that she was so well known for. Uh Uh-oh. Marie II was known to sport a bright turban and gold jewelry to denote her status as a free Creole woman of New Orleans. Marie II inspired fear and similarly started her career as a hairdresser before running a bar and brothel on Bourbon Street. She claimed to be a talented proprietress able to fulfill any man's desires if he was willing to pay the price. Mm-hmm. She held lavish parties at the Maison Blanche, where the mm-hmm. champagne flowed, fine food and wine were the norm, and naked black women entertained white men, politicians, and high officials with their dancing. I mean, get it. Even though the debauchery was well known, the police steered clear of Marie II, fearing her retribution. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. She held voodoo ceremonies for the blacks of New Orleans and ran Maison Blanche, but never gained the notoriety in the press that her mother once possessed. In the 1890s, according to legend, 
She drowned during a huge storm that hit Lake Pontchartrain. In a strange twist upon her death, the legacy of her mother seemed to fade into obscurity, perhaps in part to the fact that people could no longer discern one woman from the other. So their yeah. stories kind of merged yeah. together. I mean, that makes sense with the same name mm-hmm. and with word of mouth. Mm-hmm. Regarding the mystery of Jacques Perry, Marie's first husband. Mm-hmm. In 2019, an LSU archaeology doctorate candidate named Kenetha Harrington believes she found what happened to him. After searching the archives of neighboring Baton Rouge, she found a record of a man in 1823 named St. Iago, which was a different spelling of his other first name that he went by, Santiago. In 1824, he died with $13.87 to his name, or about $391 today, mm-hmm. $8 of which was owed to the doctor that had been treating him, so about $226. Okay. Jacques was buried in St. Joseph Catholic Cemetery in Baton Rouge in an unmarked grave. And that is the story of Marie Laveau, the voodoo queen of New Orleans. I like her. Mm -hmm. I love how how she was like super sassy with her competition. That's hilarious. Yeah. Like, hell no. (laughs) Get that baby off your lawn. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to burn it. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm going to sacrifice it to the great zombie, and a giant (laughs) snake is going to rise from its ashes. Yep. Hi, my name is Jules, and I'm the host of Riddle Me That True Crime, which focuses on unsolved murders and disappearances, where I often do so with the help of family members, where they come on and tell their stories, and oftentimes with experts. I'll usually present the story over a multi-episode story arc. Sometimes I'll do one-off episodes like one I covered recently, which was the tragic and very suspicious death of 14-year-old Noah Donahoe in Belfast, Northern Ireland. So Noah went off on his bike one day. It was Father's Day, the 21st of June, 2020, amidst lockdown. He rides his bike. He's going to Cave Hill Park to meet friends. And something along the route causes him to get derailed. He ends up in an area that he's unfamiliar with and has no business being in. Given that he is a Catholic schoolboy and this is a loyalist area, so it takes just under a week until Noah's body is discovered. He's discovered unclothed in a storm drain, and the PSNI comes out with a preliminary conclusion of accident. Mind you, this is before an autopsy has been done to determine manner of death or cause of death, and also before the forensics has been run. The family is screaming out for justice. I really hope you will join me on Riddle Me That True Crime, which you can listen to anywhere you get your podcasts. This week's podcast plug is the Oracle Network Podcast of the Month, the Riddle Me That Podcast. Nice. Congratulations on being the podcast of the month. Good job, Jules. Riddle Me That is hosted by Dr. Jules, who is a true crime and mystery enthusiast with an academic background. She is a doctor. She's got a doctorate who takes a deep dive into the facts of unsolved cases, disappearances, and mysteries. The occasional solved case will be thrown in for good measure, but if you love things mysterious, you are going to love Riddle Me That. Nice. And we'll have a link to it in the show notes. I was able to be a guest on her show once upon a time, and we discussed the Sodder Children case. Ooh, that's a good one. That was a fun discussion. Yeah. I think the mob had something to do with it. Yeah. But that's just me. Guess you'll have to go listen to find out what she's talking about. That's right. 
And this week's listener question comes from our friend Dustin at the Sandman Stories Presents podcast. Hello. Hello, Dustin. And he wants to know, what is the cruelest punishment of the old days? Drawing and quartering. Yeah, that was pretty bad. Ooh, the stones were pretty bad too, though. Being stoned or pressed like, to death? Pressed, pressed. Being pressed to death, yeah. That's pretty bad, too. Yeah. The first thing that came to mind when I read that was the Iron Maiden. Yeah. Didn't they do something weird with thumbs, too? Oh, yeah. They would press your thumbs and, like, break them. Yeah. And they would typically do that when you were in the stocks. The hungry rat in the cage. Oh, God. They did lots of bad things. Because I would think you would, I think with the rat, you'd be able to live through that a lot longer than you'd want to. Yeah. Maybe that's the worst one. Being eaten alive I, by rats? Yeah. Like oh in a controlled god. way so that you just... Oh my god. It's not slow. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah, I think that one takes over Iron Maiden. Yeah. I think it also takes over being drowned and quartered because eventually you just like pass out and die. Yeah. And being pressed, you pass out. Mm-hmm. After you get crushed. You can't breathe. Ugh. Gross. Thanks. Thanks, Dustin. Dustin. <laughs> What a horrible question. Thank you. I hope you found our answers satisfactory. (laughs) Don't be sad. Be glad that we answered your question. Mm -hmm. So what is something good you would like to share this week? I got a car. Yay. (laughs) Tell them the story of your last car. Yeah. That's an interesting story. I suppose I can't be triangulated now. So the car I had to give away, which was very sad was a 2011 Chevy Cruze. And I had been gifted that car. Well, actually, I won the car from Conan O'Brien. And when he moved his show to TBS, he had like a sponsorship thing with Chevy when they had just come out with the, the Cruze. And it was a 20 pine tree air fresheners and 20 nights sweepstakes. So you would get pine tree air freshener in a brand new car case. And I entered once while watching his show and trying to stay awake for studying. And I was one of number 16 out of 20. And it was a very surreal experience because they like called me and said I won. And I thought they were like pranking me. (laughs) (laughs) And then I had to get stuff notarized and then the notary was like, this is so exciting. I was like, I still don't know if this is real. <laughs> <laughs> and then I got to like pick pick out the color and stuff and they built it and they dropped it off like four months later. And that has been my car since. And it got me through college and it got me through several moves and hard winters and the transmission was finally going out. So it was sell the car now or have it be free. <laughs> mm-hmm later. (laughs) So I got a new car today and it was technically the first time I've ever purchased a vehicle, Mm -hmm. which was the scariest thing ever. Yeah. Isn't buying a car scary? I almost threw up three times. (laughs) That's awesome. And and there were a couple of times where they're like, are you okay? And I was like, no, no, I'm not not okay. But it's really cool. I think it'll get us through a lot. So, and the dogs love it. So it's already paid for itself in dog love, I guess. But like, yeah, that was wild. Congratulations. Thank you. What about you? What's one good thing? So 
Thomas listens to this, so I gotta be, I gotta phrase this in a certain way. Oh no. Thomas very kindly printed me a 3D mount from my mic. Yeah. And this is something that I have been wanting to do for a while, like since my desk was downstairs and my office was downstairs in the basement. Yeah. He surprised me with it today. He just kind of like threw it at me and he is like, catch. I was like, what? (laughs) And I was like, oh my God, yay. So I am now recording with my mic mounted to my wall as opposed to attached to my desk like it has been forever. Mm -hmm. So whenever you'd hear the like bonging sound of me bumping into the mic stand, hopefully I won't have that anymore unless I try to hit the mic or in case (laughs) I like purposefully set my drink down a little too hard on the desk and it picks up. But that was something that had been annoying me for a very long time because I would try to edit that sound out of the audio so you wouldn't hear the like boom noise (laughs) of like my cup hitting my desk and like making it vibrate or anything else and now hopefully I won't have that issue anymore because there were times when I couldn't edit it out because I'd be in the middle of talking or you'd be in the middle of talking or someone would be in the middle of talking and I was like god damn it so (laughs) that's awesome thanks Thomas thank you Thomas I love you thank you for fixing things I love you too but in a different way that's good. In a brother way. <laughs> I just made it weird. Bye. <laughs> you just made it so weird. Did I? No, not really. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> I mean, I've known him for God. How long? 2003. Yeah. A while. I can't a do while. math right now. <laughs> a while. Yeah, obviously while. I can't either since I thought the, the Haitian Revolution was like three years. <laughs> Okay. Said add another decade to that and you'll be fine. Good. Yeah, math is in our strong suit. So Yeah, you can obviously tell. Hopefully hopefully that didn't hurt me today when I got a car. (laughs) Not knowing math. Sign here. Oh, okay. (laughs) These numbers look fine. Good luck, me. On that note, let's shut her down. All right. You can find us online at yieldcrimepodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at yieldcrimepod, Instagram at yieldcrimepodcast, and on YouTube. So you should subscribe to our YouTube because it's it's pretty cool. Pretty cool. I'm subscribed. I am too, but only because I, I'm I, the one that runs it. I clicked. What did, what did, they, what did the kids say? They smashed? You slapped that oh, bell? They, no, he didn't slap the bell. Whatever. No. I don't it's know what fun. the kids Just, say. Just click on it, all right? <laughs> yeah. Let's do it. Whatever the kids are calling it these days. <laughs> TikTok on the YouTubes. <laughs> <laughs> Tickety tackety. Click that. Clickety clackety that button. Subs- subscrapity. The button that uh. says subscribe. <laughs> we also have a P.O. box that is very lonely. I checked it yesterday yeah. and it was so, so sad. You can write to us or send us whatever, as long as it's not illegal, to Yield Crime Podcast, P.O. Box 341, Wyoming, Minnesota, 55092. You can mm-hmm. also email us at yieldcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Send us your questions, your story suggestions, funny gifts that'll make us laugh. Yeah, we do like those. Things of that nature. Yeah, we appreciate it. You can also leave us a five-star rating and review, which is a great way to support the show mm-hmm. on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, or Good Pods. And this week's review comes from Apple Podcasts from 
Young Etam6, I think that's how you say it, says, oldies and goodies, five stars. The reason I didn't start a true crime podcast was because there are so many out there done better than I ever could. This Mm -hmm. podcast takes a simple yet ingenious take on sidestepping that problem. No crimes after 1900. I wish I would have thought of it. Love it. (laughs) Keep it up. Subscribed! In all caps. With three exclamation points. Wow, three. Three. They really meant it. Yeah. If you would like to support us financially, we're never going to say no. Nope. You can do so with a one-time donation on Buy Me a Coffee. You can also join our Patreon for as low as a dollar a month to get early ad-free access to our episodes and some bonus content. There is going to be a sale at our Tea Public shop. Enjoy 35% off October 13th through the 17th. Get your hands on some of our spoopy Halloween merch. Spoopy, spoopy. I have another design idea in the works. I just have to make it. Fair enough. And on that note... As always, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Madison. And we'll see you next time with another tale. As old as crime.